0: Uh, Last week we kicked off a series that's a really very simple series. Um, It's just a three-week series that we're calling Pray, Invite, and Bring. And um, as part of kicking off this series last week, uh, where I said it was simple, last week all we talked about was praying, just praying. And I asked as the pastor of praise that you would set aside time this last week and I believe that you all did, if you, if you missed it or if you weren't a part of it, that you're going to set aside time this week to really just pray over your own heart and pray over your own kind of passion and disposition to pray for yourself. And to pray for yourself for three things. I, prayed, I asked that you would pray that you would um, have a burden for somebody, that God would put somebody on your heart and that you would care and that you would have a deep care for them and the Lord would give you that burden. I pray, I ask that you would pray that you would be led by the Holy Spirit, that he would be the one to drop that name in your heart, that he would be the one to put that face right in front of your eyes, and then after you prayed for that, that you would pray not only to be led, but that you would be bold, that you would be bold, and so that when the time comes and the Holy Spirit leads you not only in just the person, but that as he leads you in what to say and when to say it, that you would have the boldness in order to step out and actually do it, which is always the difficult part, right, like... We can pray, we can pray in the background, but stepping out and actually doing it when the moment comes and you know that the Holy Spirit's speaking and saying, this is the time, this is when you need to step out, that you would have the boldness to be able to do that. So that's what I asked you to pray for this last week. What I asked that you would pray for this coming week is that you would pray for them. That you would pray for them to have an open heart as the Lord puts that person on your heart. And you know who it is. Some of you have that right in front of you already. Some of you, you're still kind of working through that. But that as you pray for them, you would pray that they have an open heart and that they would also um, be drawn by the Holy Spirit. Here's what we know about these prayers. Scripture is very clear that if we pray according to his will, we have what we ask. Friends, we know for a fact this is his will, Right? He came came to seek and to save the lost. This is according to his will. So as we pray this, we know we'll have what we ask, okay? So that's what I've asked. Last week, pray for yourself. This week coming up, I want you to spend all week, continue to pray for yourself, but pray also uh, for that person that the Lord's maybe leading you in, okay? Um, As we do that, though, we also, I just want to point out in your bulletin today, there is that uh, little envelope that on the top of it says, praise pays, and there's an instruction along with that. That is so that on July 8th, which we're just saying, hey, invite people on July 8th. The reason why we hit July 8th is that sometimes we say, hey, come with me someday, and someday never comes. So we wanted to make it specific, like pinpoint. With that said, it's not about July 8th. But on July 8th, we're going to do this praise page. So if you invite somebody to church with you that's unchurched and you bring them to church with you, that you can also say, hey, and guess what? My family would like to take your family out. We would love to sit across the table from you and, and just chat and spend time together. Um, that if you do that, we would actually reimburse you for the cost of that meal. And here's why we do this. It's important that we know why we do this. It is awkward to come to a church for the first time. It is more awkward to come to a church that you don't know anybody at. Relationships are vitally important. Vitally important. And so to that end, we want to invest in your relationships with other people. Let me say something that I mean 100%. I would, without a shadow of a doubt, rather have you pray a prayer of salvation sitting across the table with somebody at a restaurant than I pray with them at this altar. I mean that, I mean that, because relationship is vitally tied to our salvation, okay, like we, we, we see that people are more likely to come as a result of a relationship with somebody, okay, so if you would grab your Bibles today, because we're going to continue on uh, with this uh, series, we're moving into invite, invites, and so grab those Bibles, if you don't have a Bible with you this morning, oh, there are Bibles that are spread out, all around you one of those hardbacks make sure you grab one of those don't don't just act like it don't just kind of lean that direction so that alan sees you leaning grab a bible today pull it out and open it up to john chapter four john chapter four okay and if you don't own a bible that bible that's that you found that hardback we would just love it like absolutely blessed love it if you would take that bible home with you and let that be our gift to you okay Uh, Once you have those Bibles, open them up to John chapter 4. A couple weeks back, on Wednesday night, I was out in the lobby talking to some people. And while we were chatting, I see Bill Benson sitting over in a chair reading his Bible, just spending some time studying. And I just felt like, hey, I want to, for whatever reason, I believe it was the Holy Spirit. Now, I was like, hey, I'm going to go and ask him what he's reading. So I sit down next to him and I'm like, hey, what are you reading? And he goes, I'm reading from John chapter 4 which is the story of the Samaritan woman and and at the well that Jesus meets and he talks with. We had just studied this or read through this as part of our series called Meeting Jesus. If you don't remember, we did that on April 22nd. April 22nd we called it Bottomless. And as part of that he was reading through the story and I said, "Well, what specifically are you reading?" and he read me the verse. And Since that time, just being completely transparent, since that time when he read me that verse, it's just been bouncing around my brain, like just constantly. And I believe that the reason for that is that the Holy Spirit's kind of working on me in something. And I think it perfectly ties with this idea of invite. And so we're going to read a portion of that story again today. We read some of it again on April 22nd. We're not going to go back and reread all of that over again because the story's super long. We only read the part where Jesus was interacting with this woman at the well. We skipped the rest of it. Like, we didn't get all the way down through the story. And what he was reading that Wednesday was kind of the aftershocks of what happens as a result of Jesus' interaction with her at the well. And that's what I want to read today. If We're going to skip all the first part, and we're just going to jump into after his interactions with them. So if you missed April 22nd, go back out to our website and listen to it. It's called, again, I think it's called Bottomless, and it's on April 22nd. You can check it out on our website, okay? So we're going to pick up in John chapter 4. If we skip all the way down, it'll be somewhere around verse 27. Before we get there, let me just lay really quick groundwork, because you know that the Samaritans and the Jewish people were kind of head-to-head, right? Like, You've heard before probably that the Samaritans and the Jewish people did not like each other. We we kind of have an idea of that. You've probably heard that before in a sermon. But as part of studying for April 22nd, there were some things that I didn't know that I learned about the Samaritans. So, for example, the Samaritans did not believe that the prophets were scripture. They did not believe that the historic books were scripture. They did not believe that Psalms or Proverbs were scripture. The only thing that they believed was Scripture were the first five books of the Bible. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Okay? That's all they thought was Scripture. That's all they recognized as Scripture. And so as a result, that's why you find that the Samaritans didn't really have a high opinion of Jerusalem. Why would they? Jerusalem doesn't become important until long after those first five books are over. They didn't have a high opinion of David. Or the line of David. Why would they? Because David doesn't become a big deal until long after those five books are over. They didn't have a high opinion of the temple. Because the temple didn't come during that time. Instead of saying that the hill in Jerusalem was important. They said that the Mount Gerizim was important. Because that does show up then. Okay. Here's what's cool about it. Is in spite of the fact that they only had a very... Their uh, a revelation was much smaller than the Jewish peoples, in spite of that, they still had an expectation of the coming of the Messiah. That's what's cool. So they only had the first five books. They didn't have all the revelation, but they were still looking forward to the Messiah because I believe God was doing something in their midst But their expectation of the Messiah was different than the Jewish people's expectation of the Messiah. They based it on Deuteronomy chapter 18, verse 18. I'm going to read it to you really quick. We're going to be in John chapter 4. But here, this is what they based their expectation of the Messiah on. Deuteronomy chapter 18, verse 18. This is God speaking through Moses, prophesying, and saying to them, I will raise up for them. A prophet like you from among their brothers. And I will put my words in his mouth, and he shall speak to them all that I command him. So they base their expectation of a Messiah. On This verse so they weren't expecting a king from the line of David who who was going to deliver them and was going to rule that was the Jewish people who respected the line of David and they respected the kings the Samaritans didn't at all and so for them they based it on they weren't expecting a king to rule they were expecting a prophet to reveal okay so their big expectation is when the Messiah comes he will reveal all truth to us okay so you pick up on this in this conversation that Jesus has with this woman, and this is all just setting up our verses. Back up a couple of verses from where we're going to start in verse 27. Let's start in verse 25. You see it very clearly, and even as she's talking to Jesus, here's what she says. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, he who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. Like you see the expectation there that he's gonna be a revealer of all truth. And she continue, or he's then Jesus responds to her. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am He. What I love about it is that her expectation of what the Messiah would be was incomplete. But Jesus starts right at where her expectation was and reveals himself on her level. The Samaritans didn't understand it all. The Jewish people didn't understand it all either. But he revealed himself at the level that they would understand in order to bring them to a more full understanding. He starts right where they're at and then he calls them deeper. And that's what you find in this story of Jesus and the Samaritan woman. That's such a beautiful story and such a long story for that reason. But then it says after Jesus reveals all of this to her powerful moment Jesus is speaking right to where she's at and moving her along in her faith and then it says in verse 27 and then his disciples came back <laughs> like i feel like i need to insert groan here you know what i'm saying like oh If only the disciples wouldn't have come back. Like, where would this conversation have continued? Like, I feel like if you have the amplified version, you probably have in brackets, sigh. (laughs) And then the disciples came back, sigh. Because really, truly, like, you hear this, and there's so much subtext to what happens here. Here's what it says. And they marveled that he was talking with a woman. But no one said, what do you seek, or why are you talking with her? Now, this is interesting, because first off, we know that it would have been kind of scandalous for a man to talk to a woman in public alone, right? If that's not like in in public alone. In fact, there was a rabbi who said, Men should never talk to women in public, not even their wives, right? And every woman in here needs to elbow her husband right now because you know what he's thinking. He's thinking something not good, like, I wish that were still the case. So elbow them. Anyways. So it's kind of scandalous that Jesus would be talking to this woman at this well, right? Right? But here's the thing. This is not the most scandalous thing that Jesus does in his ministry. Like, I don't think this breaks the top ten of most scandalous things that Jesus does in his ministry. But yet, when the disciples come back, here's what it says happens. That they all marvel at the fact that he's talking to this woman, this Samaritan woman, at this well. But then what's even more interesting is what comes right after that. Here's what it says. But... No one said, what do you seek, or why are you talking with her? Since when does the Bible tell us what people don't say? (laughs) Do you know what I'm saying? Like, this seems a little out of place. Like, this may be the only place in Scripture where it tells us what they don't say. Because it says, yet no one said to him. So the way I read that is, like, they wanted to say it, but nobody actually said it. And I wish the Bible would say those kind of things. Like, I wish I knew what Moses wanted to say to the Israelites, but never actually said. Wouldn't that be a great verse to have in there? And, and he didn't say this. I mean, they probably would have had to bleep it out. But anyways, or, 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 like, all through Scripture, like Elijah, he said some pretty rough things. Like, what if, what didn't he say? But here the disciples, it doesn't tell us what they actually said. It just says that when they get back, no one said this. (laughs) Okay, thanks for that insight. So the way I read this is this, that they get back, and it's like awkward pause. And here's the two things they didn't say. They didn't say, what do you seek to her? And they didn't say, why are you talking with her to him? So the way I read this is this. They didn't say it with their mouths, but they said it by the way that they looked. Right? They walk up, and it's not like they're like, oh, look at the beautiful mountains. And they come up with, like, random things to talk about. It's like they walk into the situation, and there's this awkward pause, And they might not actually say it, but you know what they wanted to say. Right? Like, I didn't say what I wanted to say there. The disciples were never known for tact. And so when they come into this in their awkward pause moment, it immediately translates. They might not have actually said it, but you could feel it in the the space. And so here's what happens immediately afterwards. Uh, So she left. So the woman left her water jar and went away. Yeah, no big surprise there, right? Like the disciples come back. Thanks a lot disciples and the lady heads off. Come and he it says so the woman left her water jar and went into town and said to the people, "Come see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ?" And they went out of the town And we're coming to him. Okay. This is cool. Because the first thing is her language. Come see. That exact phrase is used in John chapter 1 verse 39 when Jesus is speaking to the first disciples and he invites them to follow him. That language is used in John chapter 1 verse 46 when when Philip goes to Nathanael and he says to him, uh, uh, come and see the Christ. This is language of invitation. So she heads into town and it says she immediately invites people. But we don't know how she does it. Like did she go door to door? Knock on the door. Come and see this man who told me all that I've ever all of that I've ever done. Could he be the Christ? Knock, knock, knock. Come and see this man who's told me all that I've ever done. Could he be the Christ? Does she go door to door or does she like go to the to the, to the uh, marketplace and stand up on a box and say, come and see all, this man who told me all that I ever done, could he be the Christ? Or did she just find a group of people and she goes to this one group of people and she goes, come and see this man who's told me all that I've ever done, could he be the Christ? And they start heading and then another group of people's like, where are you guys headed? Come and see this man who's told me all that I ever did, could he be the Christ? Like we don't know how the invitation goes out, but it does Why? Because she had an interaction with Jesus Christ. And the very first thing that she does is she goes and she invites other people to have that same interaction with Jesus Christ. So she goes. And what I love about it is you read verse 30 and it says, What did they do? They went out of the town and were coming to him. She's got some pull. She goes into town and she tells them about it. And what do they do? Well, they come. So they do exactly what she told them to do. She invites them and they respond. She's got some pull with them. And what that makes me wonder is, weren't the disciples just there? Didn't they just go into town to get some stuff? So they were just there, but she goes into town, and she starts inviting them, come and see, we've got an opportunity to see the Christ, and they come. What if I told you, you have more opportunity to reach your neighbors, your coworkers, your friends, your family for Christ, than I ever will? If we started a new ministry here at Praise, bring a pastor to work day. And you could sign me out for the day. And I could come to your work and sit in the break room or hang out over the top of somebody's cubicle. Hey, what you doing? You know Jesus? Like we could do that. Here's the thing though. No matter how hard I work at it, I do not have the same pull with those people as you do. Why? Because they know you. And they know who you are, and they know what you're about, and they've seen your life. And me, I'm just some guy. And if you bring me to your neighbor and knock on the door and say, hey, Bob, here's my pastor. Bob's going to be like, okay. But if you go to Bob and you say, hey, Bob, I've been praying for you, means a completely different thing. Completely different thing. Why? Because he knows you. The disciples were just there. And when she comes in and says, come and see. And here's the thing. Sometimes we think that that actually works against us. Like they know us. So we're like, well, (laughs) they know me. (laughs) I can't reach them for Christ. um, Because I've not always been the best coworker. And there was that one time I was super frustrated. And there was that one time that my leaves were on their yard or their leaves were on my yard or the dog was barking or somebody left their trash can out at the end of the road. And so we think that that counts against us because they do know us. They know our history. And so we couldn't possibly be the one to bring them to Christ because they know us too well. What about this woman? Her past, super sketchy. Jesus himself said you had five husbands, and the one you're with now is not your husband. And if Jesus knew it, do you think everybody who lived in the same town as her knew it? I, people gossip. (laughs) Just going to leave that there. You think the people who lived in the town with her knew? You bet they did. They knew exactly who this woman is. But when she comes, what does she say? She doesn't say, oh, come and see this guy because I'm such a great person. No. She comes and says, come and see this man who told me all that I've ever done. She talks about her relationship with him and what he did for her. She talks about her testimony, and that word comes up later in the story, by the way. She talks about what he has done, not what she has done. Come and see him. Don't come and see me. And so we might think, okay, well, but they know our past. Yeah, that's awesome. Because they can also see Jesus Christ at work inside of you. And that's a testimony that nobody can take away from you. Do you remember when Dr. Windsor was sitting right here and he said those almost exact words? He says, listen, your testimony is something that nobody can ever take from you. It's yours. It's real. And they can despise your words. And they can just reject your theology, but they cannot take your testimony. So use that. Here's what Jesus did for me. Let me tell you about it. Not that I'm great, but that he's great. In fact, there was almost everything Dr. Windsor said when he was here when we did the interview was great. There was one point where I disagreed with what he said, and I'll give him a call and let him know that I disagreed with him. I'm sure he'll care whole lot but there was one point at which I almost kicked him in the shin and that was the part where if you remember he said blame your pastor (laughs) don't do that um here's why he said blame your pastor if you've got a friend who you've never talked to about Christ he said oh yeah my pastor is wants me to reach you or my pastor wanted me to tell you about Jesus don't do that don't do that Because that makes it impersonal. And the whole point with this is that it's personal. It's our relationship connected with your relationship with Christ. So so don't start there. If you want to know how to talk to somebody about this, if you have been praying for yourself to care, and you've prayed that way, and God has laid somebody on your heart, and so you started praying for the person who God laid on your heart, and you've been praying for them for about a week, here's what you do. You walk up to them and you say, hey, this might be a little weird. But you've been on my heart lately, and I have been praying for you. Would you be interested in joining me at church? Can I tell you about Jesus? You know, start there. start with the reality of it. Don't try to hide it. Don't try to pretend. Don't say, "Hey, here's the deal. If you come to church with me on July 8th, we'd both get a free lunch. Don't do that. That's a terrible idea. And don't, don't go the wrong way either. Don't start with the lunch. Hey, you want lunch? I'd love to take you to lunch. How about July 8th? Meet me at Praise Assembly at 10 a.m. Don't do that either. That's like totally wrong. Instead, just invite them to come with you. Say you'll meet them in the the parking lot and say, you know what? I'd like to take you out to lunch afterwards. Just say that. But start with the fact that you've been praying for them and just tell them that. Because if the Holy Spirit is the one who led you in it, if he's the one who led you in it, He's doing something on their heart right now in preparation for you talking to them. So bank on the relationship. That's what she does. She goes and she just starts with the relationship. And she says, here's what he he did for me. He told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? And they went out of the town and were coming to him. Verse 31. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, saying, Rabbi, eat. Eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you do not know about. So the disciples said to one another, has anyone brought him something to eat? And Jesus said to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. If you don't remember, this story started back at the beginning of this chapter with Jesus being wearied from the travels. So he sits next to the well sends the disciples into town, and now they come back with food. And he says, I'm not hungry anymore, guys. Which is why every guy in here should elbow their wives, because that's exactly what they do, right? I'm not hungry anymore. Mm. So that's what Jesus does here. Thank you. Thank you. That's what Jesus does here, and here's why he says it. He says, I don't need that because I am so satisfied. He goes, where does my satisfaction come from? My satisfaction comes from being right in the center of God's will for me. Right? He's like, I don't don't need food right now. Like the Holy Spirit is so heavy right now. And I'm not feeling the food. I am totally set. I am totally satisfied. And I am convinced of the fact that the most satisfying place for any of us to be is right in the center of God's will for our lives. Well, let me tell you what the center of God's will is for your life. You're supposed to go and make disciples. So you want to be satisfied. You want to find deep meaning and purpose. You want to find a moment like Jesus is talking about right here. That's what we need to do. And I can tell you from experience. Oh, I can tell you from experience. That there is nothing more satisfying than sitting across the table from somebody. Who you you sense the Holy Spirit saying, man, you need to say this. And you're like, oh, I don't want to say that. And the Holy Spirit says, no, you need to say that. And, And so you're bold. And you step out and you say that. And they melt. Because it's not your words, it's the Holy Spirit that has been working on them already and preparing the ground for that very statement to be made. And you realize this moment was ordained by God and something bigger just happened. You are like on cloud nine from then on, right? Like there's nothing more satisfying than that. And so as you're led by the Holy Spirit, as you find the center of God's will, as you do this thing that we have been called to do, I'm telling you, there is nothing more satisfying than that. And Jesus talks about that, and he says, I'm don't. i don't, I'm not hungry. I'm not hungry because my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. And this is the part that Bill Benson was reading that has just been pinging around my brain. Verse 35, do you not say, There are yet four months, and then comes the harvest. Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for the harvest. Already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life, so that sower and reaper may rejoice together. He says, lift up your eyes and see that the harvest is white. And here's the thing. Back in verse 30, it says, they went out of the town and were coming to him. So Jesus might literally be saying to them, hey, uh, lift up your eyes, guys. You see that? The harvest is white. And we think, like, okay, yeah, great. But that couldn't happen today. There's too much strife. There's too much division. There's too much antagonism. And as believers, we're caught in the middle and everybody like has their targets on us. Can I just say to you, that may be true, but the harvest is still white. The harvest is still white. You want to know how I know? Because the song may be different. It might be new faces. But do you think this hasn't been going on for thousands of years? Do you think the enemy hasn't been at work for thousands of years? And more importantly, do you not think that God has been at work for thousands of years? And the same God who was working then and prepared the ground for Jesus himself in Samaria also prepares the ground for us today. Not only was he working then, he is still to this day working. And guess what? He's not done. He's still gonna be working into the future. So is the harvest still white? You betcha. Absolutely, without a shadow of a doubt, I say that it is. And no matter what else comes, the harvest will still be white. This still happens today and here's what happens for here the saying holds true one sows and another reaps I sent you to reap that for which you did not labor others have labored and you have entered into their labor what is Jesus saying Jesus is saying that God prepared the way for us I just stepped into this but the Holy Spirit's been working on this lady's heart and not just her heart but also the hearts of the entire town he prepared the way for me And then he continues, or it continues, verse 39. And many Samaritans from that town believed in him. Why? Because of the woman's testimony. They believed because of her testimony. When she said, he told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them, and he stayed there two days. And it continues on, verse 41. Many Samaritans from that town believed in verse 39, verse 41. And many more believed because of his word. And they said to the woman, it is no longer because of what you said that we believe. For we have heard for ourselves and we know that this is indeed the Savior Of the world. They no longer believed because of what she said. They had experienced it for themselves. Isn't that the whole point? When we talk about inviting people, friends, I'm not talking about inviting them to praise. Or this church. And I gave you a target of July 8th. And the reason why I gave you that target again is because... If we say someday, someday never comes. Sunday does come. So we gave you a date. This isn't about this church. It's not about building this thing. Because if I dedicate my whole life to building a 501c3, at the end of it, it will be wasted. But if I dedicate my whole life To seeing people connected to Christ. To find deep satisfaction in him. Man, if I give everything that I've got to that and I burn it all out, boy, that's worth it. No shadow of a doubt in my mind. And for her, her testimony gave some of them believed because of her testimony. But then many more believed not just because of her testimony, but because they experienced it For themselves. I want to speak to this really, really quick. Because without a shadow of a doubt, one of the most important prayers that I ever prayed was I was sitting next to my mother on a couch. You know what I told my mom? I told her, Mom, I cannot believe what you believe unless... I experience it for myself. And I think that hurt for her to hear. Because I said, Mom, I can't believe just because you believe. I've got to experience Christ for myself. And I prayed that. I said, God, if you're real, show me that you're real. And he did. And I have told other people to pray that same prayer. Because if you don't believe for yourself or haven't experienced for yourself or you only believe because your parents believe or because your spouse believes, when it comes down to it, if you have not experienced Christ for yourself, then you're missing out. You've got to experience him for yourself. And it says that they see him and they know him and they recognize him and as a result of that, they put their faith in him and they say to her, now we not only believe because of what you said, we believe because we have met him and we see that he truly is the savior of the world. Man, does it get any better than that as far as a confession? The savior of the world by the Samaritans who only had a part of the realization or the revelation, but because they met Jesus, they see it all. The savior of the world. And again, we go, okay, okay. But that happens to Jesus. And quite honestly, man, there's, you say, you want me to invite somebody who doesn't, you don't know my neighbor. (laughs) You don't know my neighbor. No, but I know mine. (laughs) Oh. You don't know my coworker. No, but I know mine. That can't happen today. And yet, you know what? Study after study say that it actually is the case. Barna, who, if you don't know who Barna is, it's a big Christian organization. Who, they do this to kind of figure out what's going on in the culture. And so they wanted to find out how many people, if you were to invite them in church, well, how many would come? Unchurched people. So they put out a survey. Tens of thousands of people. Unchurched. You know what they said? 8 out of 10, 82% said if they were invited by a friend, a co-worker, or a neighbor to come to church, they would come. 82%. Now let's say that's high. Let's say they led them a little bit with that survey. I don't know. That seems pretty high. So Lifeway also put out a survey. And they were really careful. We really want to be careful not to lead them. And they, they surveyed 15,000. You know what their survey came back and said? If somebody invited me to church, a friend, a neighbor, a coworker how many would come? 63% said they would go. You know what all of the survey said? That 7 out of 10 unchurched people have never been invited to church. Now wait a second. If the field is white, if the harvest is white, does that mean we're just not reaping? At some point, we got to step out. And those surveys are great, but that doesn't even take into account the fact that the Holy Spirit, if we are praying for people, that the Holy Spirit will be working on their hearts and opening them up and preparing them to hear the gospel. And we'll be drawing them. And let's just say, maybe they're a part of the 20% or the 40% or whatever that says no. Like sometimes we're like, if they say no, the earth will open up and swallow me. What's the worst thing that happens according to what we see here? What is the worst thing that happens if they say no? Well... According to this, if the Holy Spirit is the one who put them on your heart and you are praying for them and you invite them, worst comes to worst, you're not the one who's reaping, you're the one who's sowing. And somebody else down the road will be the one to reap. Because what I love about this story is as he's bringing the message to the Samaritans, it says many believed and then many more believed. But you know what it says in Acts chapter 8 when Philip, who was here this day, by the way, goes back there after Jesus dies and is risen again and, and Stephen is martyred. And so they're kind of forced out of Jerusalem because that's what it takes to get the disciples out of Jerusalem. And they go out of Jerusalem. He ends up in Samaria. You know what it says? That they all heard him with one accord which means even those who were not on this day recipients of the gospel, that on that day they were. Worse comes to worse. You're a sower, not a reaper this day. And boy, I think I'm okay with that. Boy, I want to be the one to reap. That's the fun part. But if on this day, I'm the one who sows, I'm really okay with that too. And again, let me be super clear on this. That all of this is about relationship and Jesus Christ and your relationship with him being connected with your friend, your neighbor, your coworker, and your relationship with them. Boy, we're just trying to give you the pieces here. And so we're giving you a target. But this is so much bigger than just getting them to church. This is about the fact that more than that, you can be. And we ask the question, what if? Right? Like we're, we're like, what if they say no? And What if they say no and then I'm reprimanded? Or what if they say no and then they sick their dog on me? Or What if they say no in toilet paper, my house? Like we've got all these what ifs, like they're terrible things. What if they say no? We've already answered that question. What if they say yes? What if your invite results in them coming to Christ and in this church, they who are hurting find healing? What if they accept Christ and not only are their lives changed but the lives of the generations to come because of the fact that you were not afraid to ask? What if? What if? Because isn't that the power of the Holy Spirit? He can do that work. He can work in them. So invite them and say to them, man, join me at church. I would just love for you to join me. And you know what? If you come to church, I'll take you out to eat afterwards. And boy, I hope, I hope that on July 8th, if they don't accept Christ at these altars, that they accept Christ at Applebee's. They accept Christ at Houlihan's. If you want to save the church money, accept Christ at Taco Bell. We're good with all of those options. But that's where it's at, friends. It's all about relationships. It's all about connecting them to Christ and what he can do in their lives. Would you stand with me? We're gonna end with prayer and I just wanna pray over you and just ask for the Holy Spirit truly if he hasn't already to lay on your heart one person or one family or one neighbor or one coworker or one friend and, and if he hasn't already that he would begin to draw them He would open their hearts. And that he would give you boldness and give you wisdom and give you insight and give you lead you. And and that you would feel that burden. But I also want to pray for any in here who would say that prayer. Boy, I, I can't believe just because my parents believe. Or I can't believe just because my friends believe. Or I can't believe just because my spouse believes. I need to experience that for myself. And that's what it's all about. You want to experience Christ. Pray that. Say, God, show yourself to me. Reveal yourself to me. May I experience you. Father, we come to you today as those who've God, many of us have experienced you. We've known you. We've seen you move in our lives. We've felt and known how you've to us and we were broken and we were wrecked and we were far from you and God your grace was completely enough like you met us right where we were at right in our understanding and, and then you blew our minds by revealing yourself to us and God we've seen you and Lord each and every one of us we know has sinned each and every one of us is far from you as a result of that sin. And it is only through Jesus Christ. He is the only way. We can't earn our way back. We can't work our way back. But it is only through Jesus Christ and his sacrifice that we can experience that forgiveness. And we can experience that deep relationship with you. So Father, I pray right now for any who are in this room. Who would pray that prayer today just in honesty. And say, God, I've never experienced you. I've never known you deeply. And. God, I believe because somebody else believes or my faith is shallow and contingent upon somebody else's faith. Father, I pray right now that you would show yourself, maybe not in this moment, maybe tonight or maybe tomorrow, but I've prayed that prayer with many people and God, inevitably, you show yourself. Inevitably, you reveal yourself and inevitably, they come to salvation because they themselves experienced you. And saw that it was real, not because of my mom, not because of my dad, not because of my spouse, but because of who Jesus Christ is and what he does. So, Father, I pray that that prayer would be honestly prayed and that you would reveal yourself to them. Father, now I also just pray for those of us who already know the one that you are speaking to us about. You are saying, that's the one I want you to call. That's the one I want you to to, uh, uh, chat with. That's the one you need to be praying for right now. And eventually inviting, more than just a church to a relationship with Christ and an experience with him. Father, we believe the harvest is white, even to this day, because when it comes down to it, you're still working, and so we know the harvest is still white. Your Holy Spirit is still turning over the soil of people's hearts, and so the harvest is still white. Trust and believe that that's the case. Have your way in us, I ask, and call us to this prayer. In your name, Jesus.